one day we're not going to be interested in ourselves anymore. (laughs) Really, one day we're not going to be interested in ourselves anymore. No, that's my daytime Rowan. At night, I'm like, type, 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 type. I'm fascinating. Type, 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 type. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever, I know I like so blatantly went through the phase in middle school and high school. I was like, I just want to be interesting. I I used to write things like, I want to be a mystery, but there's no mystery to me. I'm just not (laughs) interesting. I want to be mysterious. Like, (laughs) And then I um, became an adult and I was like, yeah, mysterious people just uh, typically aren't good at communicating and <laughs> should work on some stuff. They have unhealthy boundaries. Yeah, no, definitely. I've discovered notebooks from that era. I'm not proud. I want to let everyone know that on my end of this recording tonight, you might hear some nice ambiance in the background. And that is because there's currently a hurricane rolling through my town. So... Instead of delaying recording, we thought we'd give you a spicy rain sound to go with the podcast. Neither rain, nor sleet, nor snow will stop this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is why we podcast together. I never would have thought of that. That was so good. I'm so glad that you even have power to be able to podcast. My parents are totally without power and water right now. They're camping in their house. Do they need anything? (laughs) Can I go drive anything over to them? Last time I talked to them just before podcasting, they were out on a drive. So I have no clue what they're doing. Okay. A lot of people around here are out of power, out of water. Um, Fingers crossed I've been okay with both. But um, it has definitely been very rainy and stormy and will continue to be so. Which is a mood I'm into. Right, right. As like a mood I love. But as a person who is recording a podcast, less so. Right. I want to come over and sit on a window seat in your townhouse. I don't actually think you have a window seat. I don't. I could make one. I have a bay window in my kitchen. But the problem is that it faces the parking lot and the other houses across the street. Mm. And my nosy neighbor stares into it to see, like, when she walks by. Um she has knocked on my door and welcomed herself into my home multiple times. One of those times actually opening drawers and like looking through them. I have an old wooden writing desk and she like was opening the drawers and then be like, Is You're this just- joking. Oh, she's like, oh, you're just going to hate me. And I was like, yes, I, I, I very much do so much right now. I'm trying to think of all of the things that I could do if I were there because I don't live there. So I get free reign. One of the best things about the pandemic is every time I see her, I'm like, sorry, six feet. I'm so sorry, six <laughs> feet. And she's, so I, I should preface, she's very, very nice. She's just like a lonely old lady. Okay, you can be nice and have... Boundary issues. Boundaries. <laughs> boundary issues. Huge boundary issues. Um, I, I know I... She's one of those people that the person who lived here before me had a, a baby before he and his wife moved. And she referred to it as her baby. You know, like one of those people where it's like, they took away my baby. Like, uh, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Nice to meet you. I'm going to um, go hide now. Please play a Halloween murder soundtrack in the wee hours of the morning in the wall that is closest to wherever she resides. One thing, blessedly, the walls are good at soundproofing. So I don't hear her, but it, it, our, our decks are right up against each other. And if I hear her when I go out onto my deck, I turn around. Oh. Oh, blatantly. <laughs> 
I'm not very nice about it. Well, but but you are a good human. And back to Tracy being arguably the best human, I have peace of mind living in L.A. because I know that if my parents needed something, I could call Tracy. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. My lovely mother has still mentioned a few more times that it's malarkey that you were at the mailbox and she didn't get to say hello, even though she knows that it's quarantine and that wasn't on the table. No, I would never, ever risk your parents' health. Like, even socially distant, I think I would still not... Because also, I can't see your mom and not run and give her a big hug. Like, that would hurt. (laughs) That would genuinely upset me. Oh, I was thinking about your mom the other day. Wow, we're really making this into a mom appreciation This is a mom appreciation episode. Our biggest fan, my mom listens to every episode as soon as it comes out. Oh, okay. I made the worst pasta with red sauce in the universe. I honestly have no idea how it was so bad and i was just thinking oh gina save me from myself if you join our patreon and jump on our discord i can share a very simple five minute delicious pasta sauce recipe oh well speaking of patreon do you want to chat a bit about our super cool patreon tracy let's do it so it's up It exists. We're very proud of it. Tracy did all the artwork for our Patreon. We have really exciting tiers of everything from funding Tracy's coffee addiction to funding an entire podcast episode and getting to pick a topic or story because of that. That's my favorite thing that I'm most excited for. Oh, me too. Me too. One, because... You know, it's just very generous. But two, it takes the thinking out of it for us. And then we just get to do the fun parts. Oh, I think it raises the stakes. I'm the opposite. <laughs> that sums up our relationship on this podcast. <laughs> mm. But the other really cool thing oh, I'm, maybe I'm equally as excited for is the Discord channel for yes. our, our lovely patrons. And it's only $5 a month to get into our Discord and join the chat. Honestly, it is the equivalent of buying me a latte once a month. So if you have the spare change, please, please, please consider donating to our Patreon and joining us on the Discord where we chat about all different kinds of things like pasta recipes and memes. It's going to be extra cool because Tracy and I live so far apart that we're constantly sending memes and stories (laughs) and content back and forth. So it's basically just going to be an online clubhouse of... of distancing (laughs) hello friend hello yeah it's it's it is uh socially distant and um physically distant no it's physically distant but not socially distant it's socially distant approved you are safe to join our discord So anyway, if you want to become a patron, head to patreon.com slash willingandfable. All of our online everything is willing and fable. You know where to find us. We hope you do. Yes. Last (laughs) thing at the top of the show before we jump into it is also don't forget to keep sending us your stories. We want to hear all your stories. If it's a local legend, if it's a family history, what did you call it before? Family, Family lore? Oh, listener legends, I think. 
is what we call it in our office hours. In our office hours, yeah, listener legends. So please keep sending us your listener legends. It can be any topic. It could be a spooky story like the one that Brooke sent in, or it could be something funny that happened to you. Really, it's whatever you want to share with the world. And guys, spooky season is coming up. So we're compiling the spooky submissions that we have to include them in our maniacal plans for October. And not to plug Discord once again, but if you join for $10 a month, you get to help vote on some of those episodes. So that will give you a chance to have a say in what we talk about during our spooky season. And if everyone doesn't vote that Rowan gets to cover Mothman, it's over. It's over. (laughs) She's going to boot you out of the Discord. That's what's going to (laughs) happen. I'm the mod. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Guys, after we just plugged our own Discord, I think it's important for you to know that I'm Rowan Hall. And it's equally important for you to know that I am Tracy Harrison. And this is, of course, the Willing and Fable podcast, a podcast where we talk about ancient myths, local legends, and why stories have staying power. In today's episode, we are sharing stories centered around the idea of an afterlife. To quote Wikipedia, the afterlife also referred to as life after death or the world to come, is the belief that the essential part of an individual's identity or the stream of consciousness continues after the death of the physical body. Cultures and practices around the world have stories of the afterlife, encompassing a variety of beliefs that contrast oblivion after death. These tales range from forms of reincarnation to souls that become ghosts on Earth or alternate planes of existence, such as the Summerland, the Elysian Fields, Tartarus, Heaven, Hell, Limbo, Sheol, and so many more. Today, there are countless near-death experiences where people come back telling stories of bright lights, intense visuals, meeting specific figures, or reliving memories. From neurosurgeons to psychologists, people study and try to prove or disprove the possibility of life after death using science. But on this podcast, we want to celebrate the ways stories about an afterlife highlight some of the richest facets of living. I'm excited about this week's episode because I think we have two really contrasting but really exciting versions of the way people can think about the afterlife. Yeah, I really, I didn't think of that. I will confess, I've been so wrapped up in my excitement about my story that you could have said I'm doing an afterlife in which the Pillsbury Doughboy grants all your dessert wishes, but... (laughs) Well, now I regret my choice. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? Right? That would be insane. Oh, real quick. Speaking of Halloween, Mm -hmm. those, are they the Pillsbury Doughboy cookies that have the little drawings printed in them yeah slice i used to a a couple years ago i kind of overdosed on them i made them like every week (laughs) so i've taken a break the last few years from them but i think i'm ready for them again Mm, i'm ready to figure out how to have them i follow unfortunately i follow tracy on pinterest and she's just constantly pinning yummy food which is a curse because i will not cook it only substandard (laughs) pasta here I was going to ask you if it made you nervous that I didn't even start my research on this episode until today, and then I started researching and finished my research at, like, 
two o'clock today and then came back on at like four to do something and saw you actively typing in the document. (laughs) I swear to the gods, I felt that. I was typing and all of a sudden I was like, oh, Tracy's watching me type. I swear to you. (laughs) No, it did not make me nervous because like me, you just will not leave work Mm -hmm. undone. But it did make me giggle that I, in the wee hours of the morning last night, I, I wrote my history and then I started my story, but I kind of left the middle chunk undone. And I didn't come back and touch it again until after you had finished your episode that you wrote at the 11th hour. <laughs> <laughs> As my college teacher, my college acting teacher would say, it's a process. Greatness will not appear by magic. Yes, it is a process. I I had a lot of fun researching this one, but I was also taking care of both of the animals who were like running circles around me while I was researching. So interesting experience. So I couldn't take breaks. I kept wanting to be like, I just want to take a break and recharge and then go back. And I was like, Tracy, you literally have like two hours. You don't, you gave up your chance to take breaks and recharge. That's a thing. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like we owe a huge thank you to our junior year English class. Mrs. Robinson, thank you. Uh, she changed my life. That class was insane it was so good it was so good it was oh one of the hardest classes we took in high school but it was so good and I actually am still in contact with my AP English teacher from the next year Mrs. Campbell Mrs. Campbell if you're listening thank you for being such an amazing teacher and an inspiration I appreciate it I fangirled over one of our middle school teachers the other day so it's fine um we That class in junior year wasn't even an AP class, and it was harder than all the AP students. Oh, much harder than the AP class. Yeah. So for anyone that didn't go to high school with us, this junior year class was the English class of all English classes. You read a book a week, read a book and wrote a paper like every single week. Yeah, which at the time was so stressful, and we couldn't use to be verbs. Nope. And... The grading was so hard, but we were in it, and we got to do the coolest oral presentations. That's when you learned who uh, Dorothy Parker is. Uh, I am so obsessed with Dorothy Parker, and we, my group, went out to Max and Irma's restaurant in character to practice for these insane oral presentations where we had to be our author we had to be able to answer any question someone threw at us in character yeah and i was shakespeare which in retrospect was a an intense choice it it was i i wish i'd done it differently looking back but like that was before we got as as much into acting and theater and then you went to acting school and i went and learned how to program so you know depending on which research you followed you could have been basically anyone being Shakespeare. Yeah. I had to be actual Shakespeare, though, like based on the history of who they think he was and all mm-hmm. that. But anyway, let's go back a little bit further and take me into your story. Yes. All right. Mrs. Robinson, who made me write so many papers, now I write a research report every week. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. So this week, I got to learn about the story of Valhalla. 
which I called dibs on very quickly when we knew we were doing an afterlife episode. And luckily, Tracy did not fight me. So Valhalla was known as the Hall of Slain Warriors in Norse mythology. Valhalla was located in the god's fortress Asgard, or possibly underground. Some argue that the Hall of the Fallen should actually be translated as the Rock of the Fallen, accounting for actual rocks and hills where the dead were said to dwell in Norse lands. Regardless of where it's located, Valhalla itself is a gorgeous place. According to the Old Norse poem, The Song of the Hooded One, the hall is roofed with shields and is gold bright. Men are waited upon by beautiful warrior women known as Valkyries as they feast upon a boar that is slaughtered daily and comes back to life. Their endless flowing need comes from the udders of a goat, and they are guarded by wolves while eagles fly above them. Every day, the men fight each other for sport, proving their valor, and each night their wounds are healed. These men are known as the Einherjar, which translates to those who fight alone. Or... According to philologist Rudolf Simic, those who belong to an army. And this is a key detail. When Ragnarok, the last battle between giants and gods, comes, the god Odin, to quote Norse mythology for smart people, is fated to fight the dreadful wolf Fenrir. The Einherjar will fight valiantly by his side, but despite all their fearless efforts, they are doomed to fall with their master and with the rest of the cosmos as well, for that matter. Odin is kind of the big god in Norse mythology, often given the title All-Father. Yeah? Can I, can I tell you one fact I know about Odin? Yeah. It's where we get the word Wednesday. Bring it. So it, it, he, another pronunciation, or pronunciation of Odin is Woden, mm-hmm. and Wednesday was his day, so it was Woden's day. Wednesday. Okay, sure. <laughs> That's like the only fact I know about Odin. I like Wednesdays. <laughs> Let's do it. Today is not going to be a comprehensive dive into who Odin is, because obviously gods can get their own episodes. Right. But the status of Allfather... Um, might actually have been added after Christian influence came into the picture. He's a one-eyed, elderly man who is incredibly wise and a bit of a trickster. And I just want to specify, he's not a cyclops. He has two eye places. One is just missing. He helped to create the world and could be called upon in preparation for war. As well, he was the god of runes, magic, poetry... And, of course, the dead. So it makes sense that Odin selected the warriors he wanted to fight and die with him in his last battle. Heroes and rulers, incredible fighters, and people with unique skills were said to make the ranks, rather than the unspecified standard of death on the battlefield sending someone right to Valhalla. In fact, According to historian H.R. Ellis Davidson, 
there is no consistent picture in Norse literary tradition of the fate of the dead, and to oversimplify the position would be to falsify it. Like the possible changes made to Odin's place in the Norse pantheon, it's very likely that many parts of the Norse afterlife were changed based on Christian influence. The Vikings never had a specific doctrine defining where individuals went when they died. In addition to Valhalla, there was the Field of People, overseen by the goddess Freya, a possible underwater resting place for those who died at sea, Hell, an underground world overseen by the goddess Hell, and this is Hell with one L and it is not a place for punishment like the Christian hell, double L. Some stories even told of rebirth within one's family, or rebirth as an elf. Norse pagans did not believe in eternal salvation or damnation, and their practice should not be viewed through that lens. In the 13th century, Long after the Norse religion was replaced by Christianity as the common belief system, Snorri Sturluson came along with the prose of Edda. Thus, Norse paganism met the same fate as many early or oral traditions that were translated into writing by people outside the practice. Sturluson is credited with trying to systematize the Vikings' afterlife, and he is the one who explained that those who die on the battlefield are taken to Valhalla while anyone else goes to hell. Funnily, he even contradicts his own plan in his telling of the death of Baldur by saying Baldur's violent death sent him to hell despite his valor. As for modern interpretations, I found tons of very cool entries on Tumblr, actually, where writers opened the halls of Valhalla to those who died in battles other than those who fought with a sword. Uh, One writer specifically described a character who lost their fight with cancer, and another mentioned a child that lost their life to an abusive parent. And I have to say that I think making Valhalla more inclusive of other types of heroism is really beautiful. And... Based on the reading I've done, I can easily imagine stories filled with all types of courageous folks. So, inspired by these interpretations that utilize a modern lens, I have written my own interpretation. I am so excited. Did you peek when you... No. No, I didn't. Alrighty, here we go. Welcome to Afterlife Enterprises, where we help you find your divine eternity. My name is Astrid, and I'll be your tour guide while we explore Valhalla, the land where only true heroes rest. During our journey, we kindly ask that you keep all hands, feet, and other objects inside the caravan. Now, if you look out to your left as we enter, you'll see the host of wolves that guard the entrance to the Great Hall. 
They're here for your protection and are absolutely friendly to occupants. <gasps> Hello, Jerry. Who's a good boy? You are... <laughs> and <laughs> if you look above, you'll see the eagles that will guard your skies. Ah, oh, please keep those heads tilted upward as we enter. See that shining gold ceiling? It's made entirely of shields, the perfect motif for warriors such as yourselves. Down below, this hall and the following courtyard may seem spare, but don't get ahead of me. If you look even further, ah, there, you'll see various gatherings of men fighting one another using different weapons and forms. Don't worry, this is all for fun, sport, and to reinforce your valor. No matter where you go in Valhalla, you'll be able to find a friendly competition of skill or might. You see that gentleman over there? He's missing an arm and looks like he's bleeding out. Ooh, and that person had their eye gouged out. But see those smiles? They know that all their wounds will be healed this evening and every day after that into eternity. Can you imagine the joy of going into battle knowing you'll never be truly harmed? Mm, but don't think it's all work and no play. As we enter the dining hall, you'll get a good look at one of Valhalla's most spectacular offerings. This great hall. See those breastplate chairs over there? Aesthetic, am I right? Well, this vast chamber holds all of the realm's warriors during every evening's massive dinner feast. We serve giant roasted boar that replenishes itself every day after slaughter. There's endlessly flowing honey wine, or mead, that comes from the udder of a goat. It tends to get a bit raucous here, but you'll never have to clean a single mess. Turn to your left now to see a few members of our beautiful host of Valkyries. These handmaidens are here in Valhalla to serve your needs. I see you, sir. Remember to always be nice to them. If you do make it through Valhalla's application process, that means the Valkyries gave you the A-OK. -okay. You'll also have to get the go-ahead from our god Odin to spend your afterlife here. Unfortunately, I believe he's out today, but as we come to the end of the room, you'll see his throne. Those of you that choose Valhalla will recognize him easily. He's a wise-looking older gentleman with one eye. Sometimes you'll see him in his war regalia, but you'll find him covered in hooded robes on casual Fridays. There are a few things to be aware of if you select this exciting realm. Uh, Magnus, why don't you pull us over by that tree as we exit? Mm, thank you. So... <laughs> For those of you who choose Valhalla, the selection process for warriors is pretty strict, but we highly encourage you to apply and know that if you're welcomed, you're truly the bravest of the brave. For many of you, that means your significant other will not be able to spend eternity by your side. I see your faces. I know some of you will see that as a bonus. As far as payment goes, don't worry. We don't have eternal damnation or specific rules. We'll save the soul weighing for our Egyptian friends. But know that our members will fight and die alongside our god Odin when he fights a giant wolf in the last battle, Ragnarok, in which the giants will finally defeat the gods. I know, that sounds intense, and I'm sure some of you are wondering how the dead can die, but don't worry, that is a long way off in terms of your eternity. We recognize that 
In this day and age, you have your choice of afterlives, and we are so grateful that you decided to explore what we have to offer. This is an important decision, perhaps the most important you'll make in your existence. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. Again, my name is Astrid, and it's my pleasure to serve you at Afterlife Enterprises. Hands down, my favorite way either of us have ever told a story on this podcast. (laughs) I was grinning from ear to ear. That was, oh my God, that was so fun. Like, what a way to combine information sharing with, like, fun storytelling. Oh my God, I'm, like, blown away. I seriously (laughs) thought that was so much fun. I'm a huge fan of Astrid, and she might make an appearance in the future. (laughs) I might have to do Fan Art Friday of Astrid. <laughs> I just imagine that like the a Disney tour where you get to explore all the afterlives before you make your final decision. Right. I think um I think Valhalla and uh the feather weighing of the Egyptians and a couple others will be harder to get into than you know planes for the damned but you know, you can try. You know, it's like colleges. You have your your reach schools, your safety schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, when I did my research, the what I learned is more about it as a place, you know, rather than any one specific story. So I wanted everyone to get a good mental picture. That was, I, I'm just still, blo- like, that was so clever. Oh. That was such a clever way to do that, and it was so much fun to listen to. I loved, like, Astrid and the, like, the classic, like, hey, can you just, do you mind just taking us over? Thank you so much. <laughs> like, jumping back into, the, like, Barbie, like, hello, hi. Yes, like Barbie <laughs> in the toy store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to say I came up with that idea while I was grocery shopping. As many of your great ideas come. So it seems. This is why I shouldn't grocery shop hungry, but... I guess I maybe I should. I don't know. <laughs> uh, are there any... Qu- can I answer any Valhalla questions for you? <laughs> I mean, oh, boy. Um, that poor boar must have lived a terrible life. Oh, my good golly gosh. Yeah. I feel for that boar. Also, I guess... Uh, I'm assuming the answer is... Well, let me ask the question first. So... The warriors fighting each other every day. I'm assuming because they're such brave, strong warriors, that's like, if they get their eye gouged out, like, they get their eye gouged out. It's just that it heals overnight. Yeah, I didn't see any specifics about, you know, eye gouging or arm removal. But the stories that I read, if they got injured during their fighting, which they did for fun and sport and training, mm-hmm. they would be healed the next day. No, But they no. would probably physically feel like... The pain. I would imagine so. I'm guessing it's kind of like Wolverine. Like, you get hurt, you heal, you still feel it. So many stories about it make it seem like these brawny men are just like, yay, <laughs> I'm getting injured and I'm fighting in eternity and I drink meat from a goat and butcher a boar. Like, you know, it had that vibe. Yeah, the meat from the goat feels excessive. You know, like, it doesn't... It's funny, that's what Tyler bucked up against, too. All of it was fine until mead from a goat. I just don't understand why it has to come from a goat. Like, why not just an ever-flowing barrel of mead? Like, mead doesn't come from goats. It's honey wine. 
I feel like this is a YOLO moment, but since we're talking about the afterlife, it might be like a Yodo moment. You only die once. (laughs) I don't know. Everyone's favorite phrase. Yodo. (laughs) Yodo. (laughs) I I don't know. And I think some of the writing that I found, you know, it's very modernized. Although I will say Norse mythology for smart people is a great website. Okay, good to know. We'll add that. But I did actually learn one other tangential thing that really interested me. Uh, Yeah. And it's because I was trying to figure out if in actual Viking stories, if anyone other than male warriors ended up in Valhalla. Mm. I didn't find any stories like that. And, of course, I as a modern person, love those modern interpretations. Right. I didn't see it. But as an interesting side note, I learned that though female warriors, sometimes known as shield maidens, were described in various Viking stories, such as the Valsunga saga, the truth of their existence is hotly debated among scholars. Apparently, people love fighting over whether women actually fought in Viking culture. Mm. So there are a few texts that tell historical accounts of female fighters. But those texts are sometimes attributed to fiction. There's no real way to know for sure. As well, certain burial sites have been excavated to find female remains buried along with weapons and or horses, but sometimes males were buried in the graves as well. And no one knows how to exactly interpret their findings. For example, were they buried as a couple and all of these weapons belonged to the man? Was the woman who was buried solo buried with weapons for an afterlife-related reason or something else, or did she actually wield those weapons herself? No one has made a decision, but regardless of their place as actual fighting warriors, evidence does point to women in Viking culture being very well respected. So I have two two things. One is a question, but one is a comment, and, and I don't have any history sources to back this up, but I do remember reading at some point about how... Um, <laughs> Like, part of uh, why the Vikings were such a threat to, like, especially the, the culture of what would become England, what was a bunch of different kind of areas at the time, different kingdoms, um, they believed in bathing and showering and respected women. <laughs> and so women, like, would run off to the Vikings. And the, the men were like, hey, what about us? And it's like, sorry, he bathes and thinks I'm great. He's basically an old-timey himbo. I have also read that, although I can't think of a single actual source either. Yeah. The other one I have is a question about the Valkyrie. Mm, Yes. In your story, they're described as, like, handmaidens. I Mm -hmm. thought they were, like, great warriors of revenge. Okay. So, as far as my reading goes, they were handmaidens of Odin the god and did take part in collecting the fallen soldiers and some stories even making the decisions with odin for who get got to come to valhalla 
I did read that they served the men of Valhalla, but I have also read stories about them being ferocious warriors and generally pretty fabulous fighters. So I think that both are true and available in the Norse pantheon. Okay. Okay. It's All right. More That's that this particular story is not about their fighting prowess. Right. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. So while I don't have a specific story about Valkyries to tell you today, I would say that you are not wrong. <laughs> okay, good. All right. I just want to make sure I wasn't totally misinterpreting what I what they were. No, no, I don't think so. And of course, all of the art that you find of them based on the writings is just these stunning, fighting, conquering women. And it's hard to imagine them being handmaidens to fighting dead men but it takes many oars to row a boat yeah they can women can be anything these days and in those days actually kind of speaking of what you said for our game loving listeners on november 17th 2020 assassin's creed valhalla is coming out i don't play assassin's creed myself but i will say i watched the trailer for it because why the heck not? And it was gorgeous. And it does bring up the idea of Viking culture being more, quote unquote, civilized than their enemies would give them credit for. And it's done in a really beautiful way in that For trailer. all the, the Assassin's Creed games rightfully kind of are flawed or, or kind of mocked for being really repetitive, um... They're beautiful, and the the attention to detail they pay to historical accuracy is unparalleled, in my opinion. I played the first three games, and then sporadically, I've been playing some of the other ones. Um, I started but haven't finished, and I might pick it up again. Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and just the attention mm-hmm. it plays, uh, the attention that it pays to Greek culture and the accuracy of the time period it's set in is just unreal unbelievable so plus you can play as a lady like i'm playing as a badass lady in assassin's creed odyssey so and you can play as a badass lady in uh valhalla as well yeah uh jamie tim and i every time we see anything that looks like assassin's creed or um if we see like if we see one at a convention our favorite thing is to just go look out it's an assassin's creed that's funny. <laughs> I remember when you first got into Assassin's Creed and you would go parkour when we ran into moments. Parkour! <laughs> yeah, because you parkour all over the place. Yeah, I, I always wanted to try it, but I just never have. So if you're into games, you might want to try this when it comes out. Of course, also as far as Viking games go, there's God of War, the 2018 one. I have played a little bit of that. Also a beautiful I game. I actually have not played any God of War. Listen, I play everything on story mode. I do. Because when I want to play a video game, I very rarely have a ton of time to devote to it. And I just want to explore the world. So I quite love it. But I also know people who play it on hard mode and here the combat is great. So (laughs) the world is your oyster. Yes, people can play video games however they want. I won't go on a rant about it but I'm very passionate about it because I love video games I've loved video games ever since I was 
an eight-year-old kid and I forced Rowan to sit and play <laughs> N64 with me, uh, which is also how long we've known each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I love video games, but I am a firm believer that they should be accessible to anyone. And it, and for me personally, it is more about enjoying the story I'm being told and the experience that I'm having than it is about being really good at it. So I've never been into like Call of Duty or anything like that. And I also, for that reason, I am not gonna say anything bad about it, but I do not I do not enjoy Dark Souls. I think the story is amazing. I think the, mm-hmm. the design is beautiful. I don't have the patience or the inner strength to play Bloodborne or Dark Souls. So I like games like Assassin's Creed. Actually, my favorite games of all time, not that anyone asked, uh, Mass Effect and (laughs) Dragon Age Inquisition. I think they're the greatest. They're so much fun. That and the Stanley Parable. Everyone should go play the Stanley Parable. Anyway, thank you for bringing up video games so I could go on a rant. I'm pretty basic. I love Tomb Raider, which, you know, has its own slew slew of things going on. But Tomb Raider... I love the puzzles of Tomb Raider, and when I found out that the new Tomb Raider, you can make the combat easy and make the puzzles harder, I was so excited because that is what I want from a game, and I get so frustrated having to play combat on hard if I want the puzzles to be as complicated as I like, or putting combat on easy because that's just not my favorite thing, and then ending up having the puzzles not matter, so... For whatever else Tomb Raider is doing, that mechanic is chef's kiss. Mm. Chef's kiss. (laughs) (laughs) And a final thing I will point out for those who have not related to our video game discussion at all. There is a Vikings TV series. I have not tried it yet myself, but I hear good things and their visuals are to die for. Yeah, I have not watched it either, but I've seen great things about it. I have know some folks who worked behind the scenes on different episodes of Vikings and it's a it's it's a good looking show. That's so cool. Yeah. So that's that's Valhalla, everyone. <laughs> Yay! So when you go to Afterlife Enterprises, make sure you ask for Astrid. Are you looking for a way to show someone that you care while still remaining socially distant? Why not send them a care package? Diamond Jewelry works with people and small businesses to create individualized care packages for any occasion. Starting at only $25, you can tell them what the occasion is, any specifics about the person it's for, and boom, they create the custom care package of your dreams. They'll even include a mask to help people stay safe from coronavirus. That is so cool. These care packages, guys, can include anything from jewelry to socks, candy, hats, scarves, books, puzzles, candles, and so much more. When Tracy surprised me out of the blue and sent me one of these care packages at the beginning of quarantine, my favorite two things were this amazing smelling candle and a tea that I am still trying to make last because I love it so much. (laughs) What did you tell them about me to have them send, like, the exact right things? It was so simple. I told them that you love vanilla and that you really love to curl up and be really cozy. And so they took that and, and knew that it meant that candle and tea was the perfect combination for you. 
at this point, everyone in my family will send out care packages for pretty much any occasion, including housewarmings, birthdays, get well soon baskets, engagements, baby showers, and so much more. We love diamond jewelry care packages. So tell someone that you love that you love them by sending a diamond jewelry care package. That's D-I-A-M-E-N-T jewelry.com or diamond jewelry on Instagram. And don't forget to use the code willingandfable10 to get 10% off your order. Friends, be cool like Tracy. Send a diamond jewelry care package. To me. <laughs> All right. Our next stop in Afterlife Enterprises, Tracy, what is your story today? So our next stop isn't really a stop. It's more like a... uh, It's more like a station we're going to stop at and then come back to and then circle around with. So what I'm talking about is samsara and the Buddhist idea of reincarnation. No pressure. That's a that's awesome. Yes, I will preface this with I did as much research as I could, but I tried to keep it focused on the idea of samsara, which I'll explain, um, nirvana, reincarnation, and um, Siddhartha Gautama, who is, quote, the Buddha. So that's what I really narrowed it down to. Um, so there's tons of stuff I'm not going to cover, but I actually wrote all, down all the things that I didn't cover as possible other topics for another story. Oh, good. Yeah, this topic can web out in a hundred different ways, so I'm excited to learn. According to Darmanet, quote, the three possible positions that can be taken on human destiny after death are materialism, which denies that there is an afterlife. It holds that the human being consists of organic matter. It regards the mind as a byproduct of organic matter, and after death, with the breakup of the physical body, all consciousness comes to an end, and the life process is completely extinguished. The second one is Western theistic religion, in their orthodox form, believed in an eternal afterlife. We live a single life on earth, and after death, we live eternally in some state of existence, determined by our present beliefs and conduct. The last one, the idea of rebirth, prevalent in the religions of the East, Hinduism, and Buddhism. The present life is only a simple link in a chain of lives that extends back into the past and forward into the future. This chain of lives is called samsara. End quote. Religionfacts.com also describes reincarnation thusly. Based on the no-soul anatta doctrine, the Buddha described reincarnation, or the taking on of a new body in the next life, in a different way than the traditional Indian understanding. He compared it to lighting successive candles using the flame of the preceding candle. Although each flame is casually connected to the one that came before, before it, it is not the same flame. Thus, in Buddhism, reincarnation is usually referred to as transmigration. In Buddhism, samsara, which literally translates to wandering, is the beginningless cycle of birth, existence, and death. This cycle cannot end until one extinguishes their desires, hatred, and ignorance. 
only then can one reach the state of nirvana or nibbana. This is a word that literally translates into extinguish, representing the idea that extinguishing these traits leads to the end of the cycle of samsara. It's the idea of putting out the candle, burning the flames of desire and ignorance. Nirvana is not the heavenly or euphoric existence that it is sometimes described as in Western cultures today, but it is instead a state of being that leads to the end of the cycle of rebirth and suffering. By following the Eightfold Path, one can obtain enlightenment. According to Buddha.net, this path consists of Samaditi, which is complete or perfect vision, also translated as right view or understanding, vision of the nature of reality and the path of transformation. Two, Samha Sankapa, perfected emotion or aspiration, also translated as right thought or attitude, liberating emotional intelligence in your life and acting from love and compassion, an informed heart and feeling mind that are free to practice letting go. Three, Samha Waja, perfected or whole speech, also called right speech, clear, truthful, uplifting, and non-harmful communication. Four, Samha Kamanta, integral action, also called right action. An ethical foundation for life based on the principle of non-exploitation of oneself and others. Samha Ajiva, proper livelihood also called right livelihood. This is a livelihood based on correct action and ethical principle of non-exploitation. Six, Samha Vayama, complete or full effort, energy or vitality, also called right effort or diligence, consciously directing our life energy to the transformative path of creating and healing action that fosters wholeness. Seven, Samha Sati, Complete or thorough awareness, also called right mindfulness. Developing awareness, if you hold yourself dear, watch yourself well. Levels of awareness and mindfulness of things, oneself, feelings, thought, people, and reality. Lastly, number eight, Samha Samadhi. Full, integral, or holistic Samadhi. This is often translated as concentration, meditation, absorption, or one-pointedness of mind. None of these translations is completely accurate. Samadhi literally means to be fixed, absorbed, or established at one point. Thus, the first level of meaning is concentration when the mind is fixed on a single object. The second level of meaning goes further and represents the establishment, not just of the mind, but also of the whole being in various levels or modes of consciousness and awareness. This is samadhi in the sense of the enlightenment or Buddhahood. I have never felt less equipped for anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. You'll learn that at any point you can begin this journey and start the path of understanding. Also, I had to look up how to pronounce all of those and listen to so many recordings. Y'all, I couldn't even cook a red sauce pasta today. Like, there's no enlightenment coming from me. I remember learning about this in school, but wow, have I not retained how much effort. It's kind of a, a beautiful practice. 
It is. That's what I loved about researching this, and I can get into it. But basically, it's all about getting rid of your prejudice, getting rid of your ignorance, getting rid of your unnecessary desires, being good and compassionate. Like, it's just beautiful. Hmm. So, in Buddhism, good actions will result in a better rebirth, while bad actions will have an opposite effect. A person can be born as an animal, ghost, demigod, god, or human. However, it's when a person is reborn as a human that they are given the opportunity to actively work towards nirvana. The other important part of working towards nirvana is understanding and accepting the four noble truths discovered by the Buddha during his enlightenment. Before you dive into the four noble truths, can I ask... This is the same question I was asking myself while I was researching Valhalla and wondering how dead, passed away men could die again in a final battle. How does one pass away as a ghost so that they could then come back as a human to work on Nirvana? Basically, you are reborn as a ghost because of, there are basically, there are kind of positive rebirths and negative rebirths. There's like heavenly and hell and it's been christianized but basically you know good and good and bad for the really simplistic version and none of them are permanent so when your bad karma runs out you are then reborn in a better place oh Mm -hmm. okay thank you so now i'll talk about the four truths the four noble truths discovered by the buddha during his enlightenment the truth of suffering dukkha the truth of the origin of suffering, samudaya, the truth of the cessation of suffering, nirodha, the truth of the path to the cessation of suffering, maga. This basically boils down to the first two truths are about identifying the problem, and the second two truths are about solving the problem. Some have even referred to Buddha as sort of a physician in that sense. So, like I mentioned earlier when you asked your question, karma. Unlike how we colloquially talk about it today, karma does not cause an immediate reaction to one's surroundings. Being mean to someone and then tripping when you walk away is not an example of karma in the Buddhist sense of the word. Karma is the sum of a person's actions in this and previous states of existence viewed as deciding their fate in the future of their existences. Essentially, what you do in this life will affect your next life. This is believed to play a part in how and where you are reborn. There are six realms into which you can be born. Early Buddhism combined the god and the demigod realm, so some sources will say five realms. But these realms are the god's realm, which is the most pleasure-filled among the six realms. However, the pleasures of this realm lead to attachment a lack of spiritual pursuits, and therefore no nirvana. The human realm. Buddhism asserts that one is reborn in this realm with vastly different physical endowments and moral natures because of the being's past karma, but a rebirth in this realm is considered fortunate because it offers an opportunity to attain nirvana and the end of the samsara cycle. Demigod realm. This realm is the third realm of existence in Buddhism, and... They are called Asura. Asuras are notable for their anger and some supernatural powers. They fight with the devas, or gods, and trouble the humans. 
through illness and natural disasters. They accumulate karma and are reborn. Then there's the animal realm. This is a state of existence uh, being an animal, which is considered kind of a negative way to be reborn because animals are so driven by impulse and instinct that they prey on each other and suffer and, again, don't have that chance to reach nirvana. Next is the hungry ghost realm. This is for restless spirits, and the rebirth is caused by karma of excessive craving and attachments. These creatures do not have a body, are invisible, and constitute only subtle matter of being. Buddhist texts describe them as beings who are extremely thirsty and hungry, with very small mouths but very large stomachs. Buddhist traditions in Asia attempt to care for them on ritual days every year by leaving food and drinks in open to feed the hungry ghosts nearby. Lastly, Hell Realm. Beings in Hell enter this realm for evil karma such as theft, lying, adultery, and others. The texts vary in their details, but typically describe numerous hellish regions, each with different forms of intense suffering. These beings are reborn in another realm after their evil karma has run its course. They die and they get another chance. This realm is not similar to hell in Christianity because in Buddhism, there is no realm of final damnation. And existence in this realm is only a temporary state. Those are the six realms into which you can be reborn and where you are reborn is based on your actions in this and previous life that accumulates your karma. To quote Buddhanet, different Buddhist traditions explain the process of rebirth differently. Some say that rebirth takes place immediately. Others say it takes 49 days. Some say there is an intermediate state and others say that there is not. All agree, however, that the circumstances into which one is reborn is conditioned by the sum total of the karma created in the person's life. While some Buddhists believe that once the state of nirvana is reached, the enlightened individual ceases to be reborn and ends all suffering, others believe that they can choose to come back and help others reach enlightenment as well. And that is the history of samsara, and reincarnation. Not unlike learning about Valhalla, everything is more varied than people would like to simplify it into being. Oh, absolutely. It is much more varied than you will get from walking into a yoga studio and doing yoga and imagining it to be. Like, it's just a watered-down version. And not to say those people aren't you know, deep believers who who have done the research and understand, but inherently the way that we've interpreted a lot of this religion has been watered down. I would love to know the word that means what people have interpreted karma to mean. If there is a word that's like, if you're a jerk to this person, you trip and fall. Right. Yeah, I would love to know what that was because it's not... I mean, I think you could argue it's that is what that word means in the way that it all words change meaning and, and are fluid. But if we're talking about the Buddhist idea of karma, you're not going to feel the effects of being mean to that person for a little while yet. Instant effect is so much less scary. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, if you're a good person and you work towards good things, you'll have a good next life. I feel like you're comforting me. You're like, Rowan, it'll be okay. (laughs) It will be okay. But what I didn't realize or remember, I thought everyone was just reborn as a different person. I didn't realize that you could be reborn as an animal or a demigod or a hungry ghost. I think we're all hungry ghosts. I know. I related to that. I was like, ooh, tiny mouth, big stomach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sign me up. I would say that the first time I learned about that, I felt the same way. I was, you know, wait, it's just supposed to be people. But absolutely not. (laughs) Nope. So the story I'm going to tell you today is the story of the Buddha's enlightenment. Siddhartha Gautama was raised in ease and luxury. He knew nothing of suffering in his life. He was afforded all of the benefits of being part of an aristocratic family. It is said that the night he was conceived, his mother had a dream that a white elephant with six tusks entered her side. He is believed to have been born on a full moon day, and even today his birthday is celebrated widely in Nepal, Bangladesh, and India. When he turned 29, Gautama began to grow disillusioned with his charmed existence. He realized that he too, along with all others, were subject to sickness, old age, and death. He saw the four passing sights. A sick person, an aged person, a corpse, and a holy man. This caused him great concern for the fate of humanity and our existence, so he began his spiritual journey. He left in the middle of the night against his father's wishes and went off into the woods where he cut his hair, donned a monk's robe, and began wandering the countryside as an ascetic monk. An ascetic life is one characterized by or suggesting the practice of severe self-discipline and abstention from all forms of indulgence. This act of Gautama's was called the Great Renunciation. As he began his journey, Siddhartha Gautama studied under two teachers. First was Alara Kalama, who taught a meditation attainment called the Sphere of Nothingness. Gautama eventually mastered this practice, but felt he was still lacking in understanding. He felt that this practice, quote, did not lead to revulsion, to dispassion, to cessation, to calm, to knowledge, to awakening, to nibbana. So he moved on to his next teacher, Udaka Ramaputta. And while he reached the, quote, sphere of neither perceiving nor non-perception, he still felt unsatisfied and moved on in the hopes of finding the true path to enlightenment. He decided the next practice he would undertake was rigorous and extreme asceticism. He and a few companions practiced different forms of breathing, including holding their breath. He fasted until his ribs stuck out and he could almost feel his spine through his stomach. And he also practiced forceful mind control. However, this too was not the proper path to enlightenment. He found that it was too restrictive and did not provide the proper understanding he was still searching for. This is when he discovered the middle way, 
a path of moderation away from the extremes of self-indulgence and self-mortification. This is called the Noble Eightfold Path. He discovered this through a lost memory from his childhood. In this memory, he was sitting under a rose apple tree on a beautiful day, and while sitting there, he experienced great bliss. He entered a state of calm meditation. This helped him realize that the true path to enlightenment was purity of the mind through dhyana or meditation, and that this was finally the true path to awakening. He knew he would need a strong mind and a strong body in order to achieve this, and one day, he accepted a bowl of milk and rice from a young village girl. His companions, seeing him eat the food, believed that he had given up his quest, and they abandoned him. But he had not given up his quest, and at Bodh Gaya, Gautama sat beneath a sacred fig tree and began to meditate. He was determined not to get up until he had reached enlightenment under the Bodhi tree. Different depictions claim it took him different amounts of time to achieve enlightenment. Some say one night, others say three days, and some others say 45 days. In the end, the results are the same. It is said that he gained three knowledges, that of his own past lives and those of all living beings, the laws of karma, and that he was finally free of all obstacles and attachments. Siddhartha Gautama thus became known as the Buddha, or the Awakened One. This title implies that unlike the rest of humanity who are asleep, he has been awoken to see the truth of the world as it is. Approximately six years after he began his journey, the Buddha found enlightenment, and through this he reached nirvana at the age of 35. He would go on to live another 45 years before dying and finally ending the cycle of rebirth known as samsara. Well told, Tracy. Thank you. I love that story, and I think you did a particularly good job explaining how unfulfilled he was until he kind of had his moment of revelation. Right. What I didn't include in the story that I found during my research once or twice was that the people he studied under actually both said, please stop your searching and come teach with me. You know, you've become a master. And he said, no, I I need to keep searching. This is not the right way. This is not the path. Hmm. And he did that with both teachers and with the ascetic practices that he took on. I would like to meet someone who has that much self-awareness to know that they shouldn't be teaching something that isn't yet right for them. Yeah. I imagine he was probably at times the most incredible person to be around and probably also the most incredibly frustrating person to be around. Such is the nature of the beast, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But his enlightenment... I mean, so he was a real figure that is, you know, whether biographies written later on because there are I included some stuff that is considered to be pretty factual for his history and some stuff that was written later on that's probably a little bit more dramatic for his story and the the point being that he was a real figure who really existed some call him a prince I actually didn't call him a prince because 
based on my research, where he was likely born, where and when he was likely born, he probably wouldn't have been a prince. He would have been the son of an aristocrat or a noble Mm. because there weren't actually kind of, it wasn't the same structure. It got a little bit westernized as people tried to understand what the, the structures were. And so he got, he's been called a prince, but he probably was more just a in the nobility class and probably the head of a region or an area, like the son of the, the most important person in the area, but not strictly a prince. Quite the choice to give that all up. Yeah, he had a really, really charmed life. I mean, like really nothing wanting and gave that all up because he thought it was more important to find a way to bring humanity enlightenment. But then he also after he reached enlightenment, and I didn't include this, but was really hesitant to teach people. And not because he wanted to keep it for himself. He wanted to share it. He just didn't think that people, most people would have the, he didn't think most people would have the stamina or the understanding to get through a practice like this. And he thought only people who, you know, quote, didn't have very clouded eyes would be able to see the truth. Right. And when someone gives you the answers to the universe, you still have to believe that it's the answers to the universe before you dive into that much work for it. I think of so many things that way. It's kind of how I feel about like crystals um, in the sense of I think probably someone who thinks that crystals are stupid and they're holding a quartz it, yeah, they're just holding a quartz, but I think it comes from if you really believe that that quartz is going to, I don't know enough about crystals to know what quartz is supposed to do, but amplify your energy or heal you. I think it can do that, but I think that's coming from within to the external world. And I think that has a lot to do with the way that I see Buddhist practices. It has to come from within first before it can ever come from outside of yourself. Yeah. I mean, hey, my bedroom is covered in crystals and uh oh same (laughs) even if even if i'm not into it they're still gorgeous so they don't affect me in any negative way exactly worst case they're pretty rocks best case they're pretty rocks that make you feel better i think they are pretty rocks that make me feel better because they make me happy when i see them so and if that's all they have to do like for me that's my idea of like of, of so many of these things, of if, if as much as you believe in them and as much as you give in to them or to any beliefs or spirituality or religion or practice, as much as you give in to it, it will give back to you. But it has to come from you first. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting that you covered a very peaceful afterlife exploration and I covered a very warlike aspiration and they still have overlap Right. And especially because yours is more of that eternal afterlife. You live once, you then live eternally. Mm -hmm. And mine is, I really love that image of using a candle's flame to light the next candle. Mm. And it's just a continual chain of candles as your whole past lives. I will reiterate, though, some Norse practice does have reincarnation. That's just not what I covered today. I mentioned it only briefly. Right, right. Yeah, we did the thing. Afterlife, baby. We did it. This was a fun one. This is one I really insisted on because there are so many cool stories of what happens when you die that I wanted to get the chance to cover it and research it. Oh, yeah. This was your pick, and I'm glad you did it. Thank you. 
Tracy, tell me something good. Okay, so I know every week I say, oh, I thought long and hard about me something good. This week, so the reason I thought long and hard about it is because typically when I do something good, it's like, here's a nice thing that happened to me. But I want to do something good that our listeners can also find joy in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I teed that up as if I have anything, but I don't. Oh, great. So good. My, my something good is, I guess, a two part of um, I'm really excited about getting to talk to everyone on the Discord and getting to engage more with our audience. You know, we talk to you guys on Facebook and Instagram, and that's really fun. But just another level of engagement is something I'm truly, truly excited by. The other one is a small thing. Uh, I mentioned in one of our past episodes, I ordered from My Green Fills, which mm, is the eco-friendly mm-hmm. cleaning supplies. And it came in. And the first box I got was all just laundry stuff. So my dishwasher and cleaning supplies are in my next box. But I am obsessed. I'm obsessed. So the detergent is amazing. It's great. But my favorite thing in the world is this dryer ball. Because instead of a dryer sheet, it's this basically sachet of the most incredible smelling essential oil combination. It's like vanilla, orange, lavender, lilac, bergamot. Mm. It is, I literally will just sit and smell it. And so then it's a dryer ball and then it goes inside of what's called a dryer angels so that you can find it and reuse it in the dryer so it's protected. And the dryer angels are made by deaf women in Jamaica, which is just really cool. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's basically a, the migraine fills collaborated with the organization in Jamaica to give these women a good job to do. And so they're, they're sewing these dryer angel covers. And I don't know if they're also making the dryer angels. I have to look into that. But um, so between the, the laundry detergent and the stain remover and the stain stick and the. Oh, does the stain remover work? Because that was the one I was most curious about. Yeah, I haven't used the stain stick yet. But my sister has and loves it. And she has three or she has two boys under three years old. That's a pretty good pitch. <laughs> yes. She says the Oxy Boost and the enzyme stain remover and the stain remover stick are life saving for her. So I'm very, very, very happy with the stuff that I got from them. I need to see if they have a drier smell that has nothing to do with lavender because I don't like lavender. You can't, I don't like lavender either. You can't smell the lavender. Rowan, I am, it's like vanilla meets orange meets very slightly floral. And I can't explain why, but I'm beyond obsessed with it. And my new singular goal in life is to recreate this scent using essential oils or fragrance oils so that I can make candles and soaps and lotions with it. Then I have an Etsy seller for you. I found an Etsy seller that will make perfume based on your scent requests. Okay, my scent request is the dryer angel from my Greenfields. Great. Awesome. <laughs> they list the essential oils they use in it because they're very transparent about everything that they have. Um, but I just need to figure out. It's like citrusy, but also this like warmness from the vanilla. I can't explain it, but it's so good. Oh, I, mm, I need to snap a picture from the candle that I got in that care package you sent me. The care package from Diamond Jewelry? Yes, because it smells very much like that. It's warm and also a little bright and citrusy. I wouldn't, I don't think it has bergamot in it, but it, you know when things have a very well-rounded scent profile? Yes, that's what this is. Yes. We are just going into it, aren't we? I love it. I love it. Okay, so before we carry on, why don't you tell me something good? Hmm. I, too, put a lot of thought into this. 
interestingly, it has a little bit of overlap. For my something good, I just want to fangirl a little bit about how much I love being on the Dice and Everything Nice streaming channel. The other day we finished streaming on Tuesday and I just felt so lucky. I get to collaborate with Sage and Kaylee who are such fantastic creators and by the end we're always just giggling. We're having so much fun and the community around that stream is so wholesome and kind and supportive. They're amazing. The few times that I get the the opportunity to jump in the stream Everyone just gives me the warmest welcome, and they're so lovely, and they make me feel like the most special person in the world. Yeah. It is the community around Damsels and Dice is unparalleled. And if we get even half as an amazing community around this podcast, I will consider us the luckiest podcasters in existence. Yeah, they greet everyone with exclamation points and a welcome, and it's just so wonderful. And even when I think I'm having a bad day, when I jump on to streaming, I, you know, I get to play a game professionally and enjoy, again, that puzzle. You know, I love puzzles, but also Mm -hmm. just interacting with such quality folks. (laughs) I feel very lucky. And for those of you who might not know, this is Damsels and Dice and Everything Nice, a group that streams on Twitch Mm -hmm. every Sunday for the Damsels and Dice. And then Tuesday they do a kind of game testing yeah it's play test pals we test indie games every week that is so one is princesses playing D. yeah if you've ever wondered what it's like to watch your favorite disney princesses play D <laughs> together i promise it's less it's less uh high-pitched squealing than you would expect oh so much less we're so in it (laughs) it's very fun and that is a very wholesome game and then in contrast on tuesday nights we have playtest pals which is a giant murder hobo moment usually so it's very silly in another way (laughs) the last couple weeks i've been a very uh sweet character and i think whatever comes this next tuesday i just have to go crazy and be a little evil (laughs) Yeah, be your your true self. (laughs) (laughs) Be your true chaotic self. Mm -hmm. All right, look at us. Right, look at us. This was episode 13. Happy 13. Happy lucky 13. Oh my God, and we recorded on a Friday. Happy Friday the 13th. Oh, what a dork. Yes, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And remember... Stories grow in the telling. So if you like what we're doing, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing and Fable on Twitter and Instagram to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening source. And of course... Join us next time for another round of Ancient Myths 
local legends, and stories with staying power.